A Christian university in Indiana is debating whether or not Mike Pence should speak at their commencement. Bernie Sanders went on Fox News. It went as well as you would expect. But first, it's Resurrection Week. Let's talk about that on the Corey Act Show. Welcome into this edition of the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us on Christian Talk 660 and 92.9 FM or over on any of the many podcasting apps where we reside on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, CoreyTruax.com, and all the many places that you listen. I am grateful when you do and share the show with others. Uh, just a show announcement. Guys, it actually has been a, a good season of growth here lately. Starting to see some numbers pick up with... Uh, with more aggressiveness. It's not just the marginal growth. And so I suspect that's not because of me. I'm not any more clever or any more charming. That's likely you, that you're listening and you're telling folks about it. It means a ton to me. And thank you for doing it. I have a lot of, I want to do on the show today. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina on Sunday mornings at 1030. This particular Sunday, if you're listening live or you're listening very soon after the podcast is posted, this particular Sunday would be Resurrection Sunday. Some of you call it Easter Sunday, and you're invited 10.30 Sunday morning. I will actually be preaching from Isaiah chapter 53. Well, the end of 52 going into 53, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Also on the show today, there's a really good chart out from the Daily Signal that breaks down where our taxes go. I find that to be quite helpful, so we're going to do that. Uh, Taylor University in Indiana is debating whether or not Mike Pence should be their commencement speaker. Bernie Sanders went on Fox News. I have some things to talk about there. And then there is a this, this theme on the show where we, we have an event and then we talk about the deeper meaning of the event. I want to get there on a couple stories. It has to do with Ilhan Omar, this really radical congresswoman, uh, about a, a conservative speaker who was almost attacked with bleach on campus. Uh, there was another conservative speaker down at Baylor University who almost didn't get to speak. And there is something in the in the undertone, in the so there's something there that needs to be discussed, and I want to do that today on the show as well. But first, let's take let's make first things first. And talk about Resurrection Sunday. This is my favorite holiday. The the in the American calendar. I would say likely Christmas is that biggest thing, and you know it's it, Christmas has been in a great deal uh, materialized. It's a a lot about the guy in the red suit, and it's a lot about gifts and cheesy Hallmark movies, and it's there's a lot of there's a lot around Christmas that just makes it winter time. It's supposed to be family time. It's warmth, and not you know not warm outside, but the warmth of family and friends and love and joy. Like that's supposed to be what Christmas time is all about. And in the American calendar, we really care about the 4th of July, Independence Day, and you know, the middle of summer. Uh, and, and again, even that's been sort of commercialized where it's just, you know, go to the lake, get a couple beers. Like that's, you know, I know I'm talking to an audience that doesn't all drink, but that's like the American version of it. Uh, you know, you get on the boat, you blow some stuff up. There is Memorial Day, like there's New Year's, like there's all of these very American holidays. And, and we have this one that still, despite there being the Easter Bunny, 
And despite the ridiculousness of a bunny that lays eggs, despite the ridiculous nature of the fact that this is a ancient pagan meshing. I mean, we have the goddess of fertility in Ishtar, and that's what we're. That's why why there. That's why there are eggs, and this is all about Roman Catholicism coming together with the Roman Empire back with Constantine. I, I could tell you the whole story, but despite all of the weirdness and meshing of these things, there is on the calendar, nevertheless, whether you call it Easter or Resurrection Day, this is still a worldwide event where we recognize, without any hyperbole, the most important event in human history. All of life hinges on whether or not what we celebrate this weekend is true. The Christian world comes together this weekend with Good Friday into Easter morning or Resurrection Day with the understanding that just over 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, fulfilling promises that go all the way back to Genesis, where, where God declares in his judgment over sin to the serpent, you will strike the heel of a coming chosen one, but he will crush your head. You're going to get your bite, but you will be defeated. And then for human history, recorded there in the Bible, a group of people that are constantly looking for that promised one, that promised person who could restore Eden, who could restore the relationship between God and man. And it comes along and you think, well, maybe it's it's Abraham. God calls him out of paganism. Now, maybe it's Moses. Well, Moses is calling his people out of bondage in Egypt. Well, it didn't really work out for Moses. Maybe this is Joshua, this next generation of leader. Maybe maybe it's him and, and he'll do it. Or, or maybe it's, oh, you know, it's got to be Saul because, you know, Saul has this He's head and shoulders above everybody, and it's going to be Saul that's really going to bring God and man back together. Oh, well, Saul was really flawed. Maybe it's going to be David. Oh, man, he's this conquering hero, and he's going to really bring every, uh, he's going to bring God and man back together and establish the kingdom of God on earth. We're going to have Eden again, and then it's not David, and we could go through history. We could go through all kinds of other biblical characters that were foretastes of the final promised one. And then there we come to 2,000 years ago in Jesus of Nazareth. And part of what I'm going to be doing this week, or this, this weekend at, uh, at Beachwood Church, is, is a little bit of the, the prophecy that comes out of Isaiah 53. It's, it's about the suffering servant. And the suffering, surf, uh, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, he suffers and then comes to victory. So suffers, then comes to victory, in the middle of the story, because it's actually a poem, tells you why. And so part of what we're going to do is just the prophecy of it, that it's here actually in, the, um, in this, in this uh, poem in Isaiah 53 that's prophesying of, of the coming servant who will fix the problem between God and man, it's even so specified that it says, he'll be buried among the rich. And we go back to the, we go to the Jesus story and we, Recognize that actually it happened. Like of all the things that could have happened from this poor guy from uh, from Nazareth, this this poor person from Nazareth, Jesus, 
it's Joseph of Arimathea that says, you know, give me his body, I'll bury him uh, in my tomb. So that means he was buried among the rich. And this is about 800 years before Christ. We have this, this prophecy that says he, this is a guy who had no advantages that you would consider. So he's not like Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody. He wasn't like David, where all the, all the ladies liked him because he looked a certain way. He wasn't like Solomon and having all of the riches. Like, there is nothing about him that you would look upon him and say that he has an advantage, and he's going to be different, and he's going to be the one that breaks through. And this guy with no advantages is then going to be marred. He's going to be beaten so much that you don't even think he's human. And then we go to the events of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and follow Jesus and his scourging and his beating. And then we get to the why. So we see the suffering. We know the end of the story. He, he, he wins. And then he gets to the why. And it's in this Isaiah 53 poem. It's so that he could be crushed for your iniquities. He could be pierced for your sins. That the punishment that was going to bring peace, there's going to be punishment for sin, that he would take it on, on himself, that he would take on your iniquities and you would put on his righteousness. For what C.S. Lewis called the great exchange. That was why the suffering came. So that God could be justified. He's holy. He punished sin and he punished it in Jesus. He would be satisfied in the perfect life Jesus lived. And Isaiah gives us this incredible picture of it. Another thing I want to give you going into Easter weekend is this. Something that ministered greatly to me as I was preparing for this sermon was reading through that, this account of Jesus before Jesus was ever on earth. This prophecy where Isaiah writes that this, this suffering servant that God would send, he would be despised and rejected. He would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that surely meant something to me. That we do have a God who is acquainted with our rejection. He's acquainted with our sorrow. He's acquainted with our grief. And when you read through that Passion Week, when you read up the hours leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, and stop and think about some of those scenarios, oh, you can know, you can know with surety that if you have felt rejected, your God has felt rejected with you in the person of Jesus. Just consider that the week before he is, he's crucified, there are voices shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That there were voices shouting that one week, and just a week later, likely some of the same voices were saying, Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. It's not unlikely that a hand that Jesus put bread or fish into as he fed the multitudes, that some of those same hands were, were fists shaking at him. Maybe some of those same hands were the fists that struck him. Have you felt despised and rejected? Have you felt sorrowful and acquainted with grief?
we have a we have a savior who's acquainted with grief. And for all of that a lot of the grief I have felt, all a lot of the sorrow I have felt, a lot of that's my own cause. It's my own sin that did it. And as I read through that passage and know, well, he bore our grief. He carried our sorrow. He was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquity. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the iniquity on this suffering servant so that we could put on his righteousness. That is the core of what Easter is. That is the celebration we have, that we are able to exchange our sin and iniquity for the righteousness of Christ and go celebrate that somewhere tomorrow. You're invited to Beachwood Church at 1030 if you want to celebrate it with us. We'll be back with more news and typical podcast stuff when we return for the re- for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. I surely did not intend to spend an entire 13 minutes talking about Easter to start the show, but you know it's the best uh, best news any human's ever heard, so I don't know. I don't feel too bad about it. My name's Corey Truax. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. Find the show on demand at any place. Podcasts are distributed, and if you would be so kind, share the show with others. Here's some of the other stuff we need to do on the show today. Number one, The Daily Signal did a really cool chart. And I'm a nerd, so I love charts. They make me happy. And it laid out the budget so that you can see, in the federal budget of the United States, where all of our money goes, right? And so uh, this is in- it's interesting and also important that we recognize it. So I just want to lay this out for you. Of, of our entire budget, all that money we spend, that's too much, 52% is an entitlement program, which fits into just these categories. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and then all the other healthcare programs. So that's SCHIP uh, for the Children's Health Insurance Program and also including Veterans Affairs. So consider that for a minute. 52% of the budget, 52%, over half the budget, is just paying Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and those other healthcare premiums. And so when you think, when people talk about, like, let's say on the right, on the right when they say, well, we've got to cut food stamps, we've got to cut unemployment. Yeah, maybe. Okay, let's say we did that. You are affecting such a small little chunk of the budget because when you include what's called income security, so that includes things like welfare, food stamps, unemployment insurance, uh, that even includes things like Section 8 housing, Income security takes up 16% of the budget. Now, that's a chunk of the budget, right? It's not quite 20%, but that's fine. It's a chunk of the budget. Yeah, maybe we need to we need to trim some of that off. Or on the left, they say, well, you know what we need to cut? We're spending too much on the military. And by the way, I think we probably are spending too much on the military. Well, the military is 15% of the budget. One five. 15% of the budget is the military. And so when we have these discussions about spending... We do this thing that is unhealthy in America. We don't, we, uh, we talk about the margins and we get upset at each other about the margins. So, someone on the left hears someone on the right say, We got to cut all the giveaways. The giveaways are killing us with unemployment and, and welfare. Well, the person on the left can, with some integrity, say, Well, that's not really what's driving 
our debt and deficit. And then someone on the left can say, you're spending too much on bombs and bullets and planes and tanks. And someone on the right can say back to them with some integrity, well, there might be some inefficiencies, but it's like 15% of the budget. And where both of them need to look is that we structure the budget for 52% of all of our dollars spent just go to Medicare, Medicaid, other health care, and Social Security. That's unsustainable as the country gets older, and we have to actually do something about that. I've given my thoughts on this previously. T- to me, the biggest one is, um, is Social Security, because we are aging. We, we stopped having kids at the same level uh, that we once did, and so now there's fewer people paying in. That's the one we really have to switch up. And for that matter, uh, Medicare. Uh, maybe the age at which you can start it needs to go needs to go later for people like me. I really don't want to change anything for people like over the age of 55 maybe uh, because I think that's unfair. Those people have been told to plan their whole lives around having Medicare and Social Security to affect their lives at all. is I'll go as far as to call it immoral. It's morally wrong to do that to, do that to somebody. But you can say to me at 33, hey man, it's not going to be there. This is We're not going to be able to sustain this anymore. So you're going to need to come up with a different plan. And I would say, all right, that's fair. It's totally fair. I mean, I've got time to plan and save for it. Uh, But if you didn't know, that's the breakdown. 52% of all of our dollars go just to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and then the rest of that that budget that we all think is so offensively large uh, are the things that we actually have some discretion over. Next, Taylor University. The... Uh, it's a Christian university. It's a non-denominational university. So not like where I work. You know, my day job's up at North Greenville University. Uh, we're a Southern Baptist university. Uh, Taylor's und- is non-denominational, denom- non-denominational, and a place that I generally like. I think they do a good job. They have invited Mike Pence to come speak at their commencement. He's from Indiana, of course, and so it, it makes some sense. You know, former governor. He was an, a congressperson from Indiana. Those are normal positions that get invited to speak at commencements, those kinds of governors and congresspeople, for that matter, vice presidents. And specifically, being from Indiana, that, that makes sense that they're, they were having him. Some of the alumni, students, faculty of Taylor, of Taylor University started a petition saying they didn't want Mike Pence on campus because some of the positions of the Trump administration are unchristian. And so with Mike Pence coming... Uh, it makes a statement about Taylor University and how committed they are to Christian doctrine, and so we don't want Mike Pence on campus. So I have several thoughts on this. One, I also don't really, I don't think it's healthy for Christian institutions to associate themselves with anybody in this administration. I think it sends all the wrong messages, and it's depending on depending on what you're what what you consider to be the important message. If Jesus is the most important message, then you are willing to give up your association with Republicans. You're willing to give up your your association with Mike Pence and Donald Trump. Now, there are those who they think their point, their point of their life is America, and I want to preserve my country, and Mike Pence and Donald Trump are fighting for my country. In which case, that's that's fine. I think you have your priorities all screwed. Um, am I allowed to say that on the radio? I know this is a po- I can say what I want on my podcast, but on the radio, uh, your priorities are all messed up. That's what your priorities are. They're messed up. And so if I'm a, a part of that institution, I also say, no, I don't want him here. 
I, I want to give a clear vision to the watching world, to all of the visiting families and parents and grandparents and friends that are going to come to commencement, many of them likely unbelievers, I want them to know that we are a Christian university, not a Republican university. I want them to know we are for Christian thinking and not for America thinking. Because this guy's, oh, I'm about to blow some minds. Did you know that Christianity and America aren't the same thing? And so I wouldn't want him there. I was. This is why I didn't like, uh, and by the way, I like Mike Pence. I like him a lot. I think he's an honorable guy. I consider him a brother in Christ. I think we're probably going to spend eternity together. That's my impression of Mike Pence. Uh, he's, I think he's the real deal. Uh, I, I, he's made some decisions that I don't, don't agree with. But nevertheless, I like Mike Pence. This is just about clarity. This is why I didn't want him speaking at the Southern Baptist Convention. I was in Dallas last year for the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was a bad idea. It was a bad thing that he came to speak. It made all the wrong statements about who Christians are. Uh, because of who he's associated with, it was, it's just not a good, it's not a good call, in my estimation. Now they're they're going to have him and he's going to come speak. Fine, whatever. Uh, but I think it is a good. There's something to draw from it. There's a lesson to draw. Where are our priorities and the the symbols and signals that we want to send to the world? I want to be associated with Jesus and His Church. And where a, an association sacrifices that, even if I like the association, yeah, I'm just cool giving it up. I don't need it. I don't need to be associated with Republicans or Mike Pence or any of that. Uh, and so there's a little bit of controversy there going on at Taylor University. He's going to speak, but I do think it's healthy if we would all avoid that if we can. And by that, I just mean associating with, with people who muddy up the gospel. And I'm consistent on this. I recall back in O. Nine, I think it was, in 09, Notre Dame, which is not the cathedral, which of course I should say something on the show about how terrible that was, and it's, it is really tragic to see what's, hap- what's happened there at the cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, but Notre Dame University here in Indiana, in the United States, they invited Barack Obama in 2009, and Notre Dame is barely a Catholic university anymore. They, they hold on to ve- very loosely to Catholic doctrine. But I said, this is a terrible idea. You should not give him the commencement speaker spot because that is, it is a more than a tacit endorsement. That's saying this person is good and we agree with him. And there was Barack Obama, the most pro-abortion president we ever had, a guy who voted against a bill that would require doctors to take care of kids that were accidentally born alive when their moms wanted them dead. Like, no, you shouldn't have that guy speaking. And, and maybe you could have him speak on campus. You know, when, when Liberty Liberty University, for example, has had Bernie Sanders speak on campus, I'm cool with that. Do that. Bring bring people who have different perspectives. That's healthy to have everyone hear everyone's different different thoughts. But when you're giving a commencement speech, that is an that's a symbol of endorsement. I said the same thing when Liberty invited Glenn Beck. I think Glenn Beck is one of the most important voices in media. I think he's one of the most important voices in America. Uh, Maybe not now, but he was at the time. And Liberty had that Mormon guy, a guy who's outside the faith, speak at a commencement. And I thought, man, it'd be great to have Glenn Beck speak on campus. I'd love to have him at North Greenville University speaking on campus. But at commencement, it says something different. And it it wasn't good for Notre Dame to have Obama. It wasn't good for Liberty to have Glenn Beck. And it's not good for Taylor to have Mike Pence. It just muddies all the lines. Now, a minute ago, I was speaking. I was speaking of Bernie Sanders, and now I want to speak to him. Speak of him a little bit more. He went on Fox News, and we should 
give him some credence for that. I mean, no other Democrat's doing it. Uh, but he went on Fox News and took some challenging questions from Martha McCallum and Brett Baer. I want to play for you some of that audio, uh, specifically starting here with a clip about healthcare, uh, because he makes a he makes a uh, an admission that is, I think, help, healthy that he would actually finally say it. So here you go. Uh, this is Bernie Sanders on Fox News with Martha McCallum and Brett Baer. It will drive up taxes to pay for health care. And not just the wealthy will pay for that. The middle class right. will also okay. pay for Very it. Very good. So how do you justify it? And All right, Martha, what are you not including in your discussion? You tell me. I will tell you. You're not going to pay any health insurance premiums. You're going to pay one way or the other. But look, Martha, Martha. Whether it's in your income oh. tax or your payroll tax, you're right. going to pay. Healthcare is not free. You never heard me suggest that we're going to match. You just said it was going to be free for. And she says, you said it's going to be free for everybody. But did you hear what Bernie Sanders just said there? Healthcare is not free. Yet Burns, that's what I've been saying to you since you came onto the scene. Healthcare isn't free. And so, and he does admit, we're just going to have to raise taxes on everybody. At least he said it. It's refresh. I do mean this. It's refreshing to hear him say, no, healthcare isn't free. You know, this is another problem with the American brain. You ask Americans, should we cut the budget? Yes. They all say, yes, we should. Our budget's too high. And you say, should we cut this military program? No. Should we cut this school lunch program? No. Should we cut this uh, healthcare program? No. But you do want to cut spending. Yes. I just don't want to cut any. Spending. And so this is what happens with Americans. They do this all the time. And so when you ask Americans, should healthcare be free? Yes. Okay. Well, who's the, who pays the doctors? Who pays the nurses? How do we develop medicine? Like, no one actually has any answers. Like, in this ideal unicorns world, yeah, healthcare should be free. But that world doesn't exist. And so it can't be free. And it was very satisfying to hear Bernie Sanders say so. Also, an interesting clip is from Brett Baer. He asks him, I think a fair question, and there is a good answer for a left-winger. Brett Baer's question is going to be, you know, you think everyone's taxes should be way higher. You only paid this, you know, this little bit of taxes. Why aren't you paying more? I think it is a fair question, and Bernie Sanders maybe wasn't prepared for it, didn't expect the question. He did a really bad job answering it. And a reminder to you, this is the front runner for the Democratic nomination. He came in second place last time. He is currently leading the polls. This is your Donald Trump killer. Like, this is the guy who right now is winning the Democratic primary polls. Here is Brett Baer and Bernie Sanders. Your taxes do show that you're a millionaire. You did make a million in 2016, 2017. You're right, the 561 in 2018. But your marginal tax rate was 26% because of President yeah. Trump's tax cuts. So why not say, you know, I'm leading this revolution. I'm not going to take those. <laughs> Come on. But there he... I am... I love that he's speechless. All he could do was scoff. It just... Da, 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 come on. This is, you got to be quicker on your feet, bro. You want to be president of the United States. The answer to this for a left winger is fairly simple. I mean, you, you get the question, you think everyone should pay more taxes. You only pay 26%. You're telling me people at your income level should pay 55, 60%. Why don't you just pay it? Why don't you just do it? Because you think the government would be better with your money than you do. Why not just pay it? The thing to say is, I pay 
what the government wants me to pay. I never want to skimp on it. And I'm, I, am, I am fighting for structural change. What I understand is my extra tens of thousands, my extra hundreds of thousands, I know that won't make any real difference. And, and what would help if, the, if that left-winger could also say, well, until I change the system, I've, I'm, I also gave away a lot more. I was very generous with my money. I knew my extra $100,000 in taxes wouldn't help the federal government. It's such a small amount compared to the entire budget. So I gave away that extra to these charitable organizations. Uh, but as the tax returns start coming out for all these Democrats, none of them are charitable. These are all really, really greedy people who don't... Like, my my giveaway rate is over the 10% that we would get biblically from a tithe. And I don't make much, guys. I mean, I do okay. But I give away a lot of money, comparatively, in comparison to these people. And also in real dollars. Like, I was looking at Kirsten Gillibrand's Real dollar giveaway. This woman out earns me by a great deal. I gave away more real dollars. Not away. Not just by um, percentage. I gave away more money than she did last year. Uh, because she's really selfish, I think. Uh, but Bernie Sanders does a terrible job. He continues to stumble over this answer as to, well, why don't you just pay more taxes if you think everyone should pay more taxes? I paid the taxes that I owe. And by the way, why don't you got Donald Trump up here and ask him how much he pays in taxes? That might have been the most immature and idiotic thing. Like, that was a Donald Trump-level answer. Like, don't answer the question. It's, well, what about Donald Trump? What are you, seven? Your response is, what about that guy over there? Grow up and get an intellect, Bernie. Would you be willing to pay 52% on the money that you made? Awesome. You can volunteer. You can send a check. Oh, you can volunteer, too. We have a... But you suggested, have, right. suggested that uh, that's hey, and Martha, why don't you give? You make more money than I do. Well, I, why don't you I give? didn't suggest a wealth tax. And she's, can, I mean, are you hearing that? Even if you love Bernie Sanders, you have to recognize that's a really dumb point. The idea that, well, well I didn't, well, why don't you? Well, why doesn't Donald? Why doesn't everybody else? That's, that is a terrible answer. It's also just, it's indicative of his low intellect. Bernie Sanders isn't a smart guy. It is incredible how it does appear that the the people most popular sometimes are the lower intellect people you know there's a there's a strain in american politics where trump support and bernie support converge and that is the the forgotten man so there there's that group of people out there that don't actually believe much of anything they don't have much of a political philosophy and they don't they're not cognitively thinking at any depth, but they think they're the little guy, there's powerful forces out there that uh, suppress and oppress the little guy. And so I actually saw that, uh, a chunk of Americans on Twitter and on Facebook the last election, that that's why they were with Bernie or with Trump. That They, they're, they sounded the same, but their boogeyman was different. So, uh, and sometimes the boogeyman was the same. So, you know, we're, like where Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump come together, they're both for, they're not, they're not for, for, fair, for free trade, they're for fair trade. They both see that, well, the corporations are taking advantage of America. The companies are taking advantage of America by trying to get cheap, like Donald Trump would say, it's cheap labor, labor through immigration, and Bernie Sanders would be by, like, cheating their taxes or something. But they're both taking it out on the little man. And that is the convergence of those two things. And both of those guys aren't particularly bright. 
neither of them really know much. Like, with, with both of them. I've said it before with Donald Trump. But seriously, let's sit down with Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and let's see how much of the Constitution, the Constitution those two guys know. Between the two of them, if you said, what article of the Constitution lays out the amendment process? Do you think either one of them actually knows? Of course they don't. If you ask them, what does the 13th Amendment say? Like, Just give me a general idea. Don't quote it. Like, Just give me a general idea. Of course they don't. Because there's a... Their, their energy comes from, not from a place of intellect, uh, but of just trying to find folks that, that feel slighted, taken advantage of, and then saying, I'll be your fighter and I'll be your warrior. Uh, but there's Bernie Sanders, your front runner for the Democratic primary. And I'd tell you, if you are a Trump supporter out there, you got to feel pretty good right now. Because if that's the competition, Donald Trump will crush that guy. I have a couple other thoughts when we come back on speech and whether or not speech is violence. Some stories have brought that up here recently. We'll do that when we return for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Hi there. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. A lot to do before we move on to sports. Here we go. Ilhan Omar. She's terrible. She's a really bad person who was elected to the Congress back in November and she seems to not like Jews much. She tweeted out something like, uh, someone tweeted her about, why does why do American politicians support Israel? Something like that. And she tweets that it's all about the Benjamins. That is an old anti-Jewish trope. It's all that Jewish money. It's the Jew money that makes Americans support Israel. Or, you know, it could be that they're the only free country in the Middle East one of the only free countries in the Middle East, and our best ally in the Middle East, very strategic. We share a lot of the same values because of that whole Judeo-Christian ethic thing we talk about here. Uh, so she yeah, she seems to be very anti-Jewish, um, and so she got in trouble recently. I almost pulled the clip, but uh, you probably heard it already. She was giving a speech to the Council for American Islamic Relations. It's called CARE. And she was talking about 9-11, and said, you know, CARE was founded after 9-11, which, by the way, is not true. It was founded before 9-11. But she said, quote, CARE was founded after 9-11 because some people did something, and we were seeing the rest of us lose access to our civil liberties. So she was saying there two stupid things. Maybe more than two, but here's the two that I'm going to highlight. That some people did something. All right, that's called the biggest terrorist attack in American history. It wasn't some country did something when they attacked Pearl Harbor. And it wasn't some people did something when 9-11 happened. That is very much mitigating and minimizing the worst attack in American history where 3,000 people were brutally murdered in our nation's greatest city, and I I would say the world's greatest city. This is not the way to talk about 9-11. And then the second part of that is we saw it happen. We saw some people did something. You know, some Muslims did something. And the rest of us were going to lose access to our civil liberties. Making American Muslims the real victim of 9-11. And none of that ever really happened. There's definitely some moronic, stupid, bigoted Americans who looked down on Muslims because of it. I've heard some of it myself, where it's, you know, aren't you nervous where so many Muslims are? No, I'm not. You know why I'm not nervous where there's a lot of Muslims? Because there are a lot of Muslims, like a billion of them. And there's a couple hundred that have done some bad stuff and terrible, horrible things, violent things and heinous things and terrorist actions and murderous things. 
vast majority of them, leaving everybody alone, right? So this, th- that's how most Americans saw it. They're actually really proud of Americans and how we treated Muslims after 9-11. And so she said that, and she's getting criticism. She got criticized by a lot of Republicans. I'm criticizing her now. And then there were some Democrats who came out and said that she was, that people were inciting violence against her because she was being called out for saying that stupid thing. Violence was being incited against her. Now, I could continue on that stream, but let me take you to, the, to a, a related story. Michael Knowles is a conservative commentator with a much larger following than I have. He was invited to speak at a university. In the midst of speaking in that university, someone tried to barge in with a super soaker gun. It looked like filled with bleach and tried to shoot him with bleach. That guy was arrested, as he should be. Um, and I, I hope if he was a student there, he should have got kicked out of school and he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Another related story. I'm going to all these tie together. Matt Walsh, another conservative commentator, was going to speak at Baylor University in Texas. And there was a, a petition put out that said his presence on campus because of how he talks about uh, transgender issues, that men are men and women are women, that redefining marriage to, to mean anything is, is not good for the culture and it's also sinful, that it wasn't good for, quote, physical well-being. And so you, this, is a, uh, this is actually a trope on the left now. On the left, there's actually a, a chant you'll hear sometimes on college campuses that speech is violence, speech is violence. The equation, equating, for example, if Michael Knowles comes to my campus and says men and men are women are women, well, I get to attack him with bleach because what he's saying is violent. And if you criticize Ilhan Omar, that's a act of violence to speak against her. And if Matt Walsh says something that makes me feel uncomfortable, that's violence against me. And so then there are those on the left that say, because you have said the thing I disagree with, I can act accordingly. You you have visited upon me violence by saying something I disagree with, and therefore I can respond to you with violence. For the folks around you who are younger who might hear that kind of thinking, it's important that we correct them. Of course, words can hurt us, but it is important in public discourse to go back to that really dumb you know, childhood syllogism of sticks and stones break our bones, but words can never hurt us. Well, that's a, it's not true. Words can't hurt us, but they only hurt us on the inside, right? It hurts our minds. It hurts our emotions. But no, words aren't violence, and it's important that we help the younger set Figure that out because this is a that's a dangerous way to start living. This is also one of my main encouragements in life for people. It's not only not violence to hear something you disagree with. Words cannot be violence unless those words are actually go and hurt someone. That is the incitement of violence. It's actually really, really healthy. I sound like a broken record on this sometimes, but I do fear for some folks, even in my own life. And I think this happens as you get older, too. Just older people. Get this. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I know I have a lot of older listeners. I'm trying to fight this off myself. But as folks get older, I've noticed this being an attitude. The attitude being, I know what I know. I've learned what I'm going to learn. And I'm done. I'm, do, I'm finished discovering new things. There's an equally... A damaging 
uh, an equally damaging philosophy, or at least idea, I've noticed. But it does seem like, for a lot of folks, that the first idea they ever heard, the first idea they were taught, they have so much loyalty to it, they assume it's an attack on you if you disagree. So take any theological uh, debate. I like to take the KJV-only people. If they came from a KJV-only place, it feels like an attack on their on their heritage for you to not be KJV only. If you think something different politically, I don't know, pick what it is, on guns or something, it becomes like an attack on them personally because it's the first thing they ever heard. Like whatever their parents thought, whatever their culture thought, whatever their neighborhood thought, like it's the first thing I learned and they become very loyal to it and don't ever really evaluate it. That's really unhealthy. So not only is speech not violence and we should encourage people uh, to not, think of it as violence and that we need to be folks who are open to hearing new things. But even further, like not just open to hearing new things, but actually seeking them out. Like you listen to me, I think I do a, a decent job of being even-handed. Like I give you my opinion, and I'm a conservative guy, and I'm for free markets, and I am, uh, I am a Bible-believing Christian, but I listen to a lot of other voices. I have other voices on the show. Like I, just this is one quick call to evaluate your own echo chamber. Who do you let speak into your life? What's the media you have in your life? And are you getting enough different kinds of voices? All right. That's all the time we have for serious stuff. If you would, share the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Tell someone about it. Connect to the show on the social media sites as well. We'll move on and do sports. We will finish up talking sports with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. Let's start with the thing we did not get to last week, which was the final four came to a close with a dramatic Virgin or uh, a dramatic second half. Yep. Virginia win over was it Texas Tech? It was. It was Texas Tech. Uh, th- this felt like it's a cool redemption story. Yeah, it's like yeah, because you're the first number one seed to ever lose to a sixteen, which. That people hold it over your head the entire year. And the only way no one will talk about that anymore is if you win the national championship the very next year. And that's what they did. Because for me, the next hundred years, Virginia was going to be the team that lost. They were going to be the only one that lost to a 16. And now they're national champ. Now the, the, the narrative is, what a redemption story. They come back and win the national championship. This does also uh, make me feel bad about myself because I have said, since that coach started at Virginia, you'll never win a national championship grinding away. That's not how basketball works. You right. can't score 55 points uh, and that your grinding style. But I was humbled. To me, I think it proves that if you get experience and you keep a t- team together for three or four years, the one-and-done style teams don't stand a chance. Except for the Kentucky team. No one-and-done style team has has done much. When Butler was going on their runs, when VCU went on their run, when George Mason, I mean, Wichita State, they're all all senior and junior-laden teams. So you end up with these uh, upperclassmen teams facing off against the all-star McDonald's guys. And a lot of times experience can win out. Now, here's the thing. The experienced teams are not super flashy. They're not sports center top ten. Let me know. Reddish and Barrett and Williamson are all over sport, and that's and they're fantastic players. They yes. are, but they're eighteen. It's their first year in big time college basketball, and you've got these guys being three or four years who play as a squad. It basketball will never change from a team sport. Yes, sir. I don't care who the superstar is. Yeah, you can have an all world superstar, 
But you put them up against five experienced guys, the, the experienced team is going to win. Yeah, they they play so well as a unit. They yeah. communicate so well. I mean, just go back to the Bulls. Jordan is, to me, without question, the best basketball player ever. Amen. But he did nothing by himself. Right. He had to build a team. Scotty, you know, Scotty gets there, and it's a different – It's a di- and they plug in the role players after that. So, Scotty and Jordan are the constants there. The national championship game in the Final Four at yep. least did this for me. It felt like for a while – Basketball was getting uh, three-point happy, and the style of ball that was winning was European. Right. Throw it around. These are two grinding, defensive, physical. It felt like old-school basketball, and that felt good. I liked it. What I also liked about the Final Four was it wasn't the Blue Bud squads. None. Uh, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina all got beat by the same team in one year. That's the first time it's happened since, like, 97. That's incredible. Um, I like when there's – Variety in the Final Four. I, I like when there's disparity and all that stuff. When I when I look at a championship game, Virginia versus Texas Tech, I know that for TV, like maybe the name recognition's not there, but for a basketball fan, yep. that's fun. Yeah, I liked it. I, I was really wanting Auburn to make it. I really did. Um, Bruce Pearl, to me, is you, you kind of hate him. You kind of mm-hmm. like him. Now, what I do like about him is he's very pro his players. Um, yeah. It seems to – I don't know him personally, but that's just me outside looking in. Um, you know, despite all the stuff that's happened before with him, but I really, really love the Virginia coach. I do. Yeah, he was like he's great. Yeah, I only was introduced to him really in depth this tournament. Right. I've known about him previously, yeah. but only stylistically. Sticking with basketball, we will go to the professionals in the NBA. Uh, the Lakers seem to be in trouble in the front office. Yeah, well, they've had trouble forever. I mean, yeah. I, and I think getting rid of Magic Johnson was a fantastic move. I don't think you can blame Luke Walton. I don't think Luke Walton stood a chance when he got there. I don't. I agree. And as long as the buses are in control, I think Jenny Bus is the owner GM now. I don't think they'll ever get back to what they were. I think they need an entirely new front office ownership, top-down top deal. Well, they have the guy who thinks he's the best general manager in the league. Yeah, LeBron, LeBron. James thinks he's the best GM. Right. And so he's probably going to have that kind of control this offseason. Is this turning into a Jordan to the Wizards type deal to you? At the, uh, at the end of a career? Yeah, like... That would be super sad. Like, Jordan should have never played in Washington. He should have retired a bull, stayed a bull, and then done his front office thing. We, and you know me, I'm a hu- I was, I've was i always been a I huge agree. Jordan fan, but I did not want him to come back and play for the Wizards. We will find out by the end of July. Yeah. Free agency will be finished by then. And if they don't go get... Kevin Durant? Games, yeah. yeah. Well, it, also, Clay Thompson is free. Yeah, I know. So, I, I actually am thinking Clay. I think Clay goes to L.A., maybe. I, I, you know me. I hope they all stay in Golden State, just of course, because of the squad. But I love them anyway. I just I think they're fun to watch. Yes. Um. But yeah, they have to do something drastic to make the difference, right? Because uh, this year they didn't even make the playoffs. Um. Speaking of the playoffs, um. Of course, Golden State is going to be favored. Do you, do you, when you when you look out west? Excuse me, out east. Giannis is fun. Uh, Joel Embiid with the uh, with the with the uh, with the Sixers looks good. Is there any team in the East that you actually think hey, they could take that to six or seven games? It's only. The Bucks for me. Yeah. And and I don't even know if they're legit yet. I mean, they did have one, you know, most wins in the NBA this year. I get that. I just think Giannis is a different monster. He's Kevin Durant-ish. Yeah. Just bigger. Um, I, I Somebody's going to have to just destroy Golden State before I pick against Golden State. Agreed. Because, I mean, yeah, they coast through the, through the regular season, and then postseason comes. They flip the switch, and they know what they're playing for. They're just trying to get through the regular season yeah. to get to the playoffs. Um, that's just the nature of who they are and how how they win. Out east, I don't actually. I'm not even picking the Bucks to go. I think they're too inexperienced. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got you got the Raptors who look really good. 
you've got the 76ers, but the 76ers worried me in their their first game. I mean, they look lazy. Yeah. Guys are on the sideline on their cell phone checking stuff. Joel yeah. Embiid's look. I mean, you know, it is what it is. The guy said his kid was sick and he was checking on her, whatever. Go to the back, go to the bathroom and check your phone. You it's know what I'm saying? Look. It's it's a bad look. They looked extremely lazy on defense. J.J. Reddick can't guard anybody. Uh, ben Simmons looked looked off. I don't know what it was. And I tell you what, Brooklyn is so scrappy. Yeah. And they are all cast offs from other teams in the league and they yep. put it together. I think I think that guy should get coach of the year. I, I am not opposed to that. Yeah. He has I, just done great with yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. The, they had a great end of regular season. Right. My dark horse there is I, I like Brad Stevens and I like the Celtics. Yeah. To make a finals run and then get the mess beat out of them by Golden State. Right. Uh, you know, Boston has put a couple things together though, because um, they're either really, really good or they're really, really bad. There's no, there's no middle ground with Boston. Yeah, you usually know in the first ten minutes of the game, right, whether or not it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, final, uh, final thought for sports this week: Kelly Bryant, uh, the old Clemson quarterback, yep. who went fourteen and one, I think, as a starter, or something, thirteen and two, whatever. I think sixteen and two, I think, is what it was. Yeah, something like that. Something, something great. <laughs> he had a great, uh, great career at Clemson. He yep. played in the Missouri spring game. Your thoughts on that former Clemson star? And his, yeah, uh, his I did watch the first drive. He looked. Very accurate on his passes. He had one deep pass to the corner where he had to roll out and scramble and buy some time. But he looked really accurate. Um, and you know me, I hope he does well there. Yeah. Um, he's obviously not worried about bowl games. He's just there to try to extend his career and increase his draft stock, which I hope he does. Uh, I thought it was a great look when, you know, Cornell Powell and T. Higgins and all these guys go out to see him in Missouri for the spring game. I thought that was great. And, of course, that picture is floating around social media everywhere. But, um, yeah, I wish Kelly Bryant well have no ill – feelings toward him at all that was a really high class move um and i just know as a as a man yep when your friend got you know that's a college yeah. word for you know people throw it around like it's nothing but i think it really does mean something to the clemson college word for yeah. you know people throw it around like it's nothing but i think it really does mean something to the clemson guys and the coaching staff and what they're trying to do it seems legit to me yeah well that manifested itself out there in missouri right all right, we're all uh, finished. Uh, we don't have any time left on the show. Thanks for coming and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show. Until then, everybody, peace and love.